I'm excited to be here, not only because you are here and we can share this time together, but because God is here, and it is His life. This thing says, whose life is it? It's God's life. It's not ours. We didn't start it off. We don't finish it off, and we don't really have the ability even to sustain it. Um, I think, is this the time for children's church? If you're, if you're here and you need to go downstairs for children's church, you can just go ahead and proceed down there. Because I'm going to preach right now, so you may as well get out of here. <laughs> Nothing else seems to be happening, so I'm going to preach. Um, no, we're going we're gonna to do communion, so I want to I wanna go ahead and, and preach from the scriptures right now. And the passage, as you know... Uh, would be in the book of James because we have been working our way through the book of James for quite some time and we're in chapter 4 and today I want to use or think about a phrase here in verse 7 and 8 but to start with I would like to go back and read verse from starting from verse 4 we talked about verse 4 and then we talked about verse 5 and last week I think I talked about verse 6 But I want to set up verse 7 by going back and reading again. Because this is the continuation of this same thought and this same discussion. So verse 4 of James chapter 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It's it's a very, very... uh, cataclysmic type of a statement. If you're going to be a friend of this world, then you're going to be an enemy of God. Or it could be, you could use the word love and hate. Actually, it is in the Greek text, the word for love, and it could be translated hate. If you're going to love the world, then you hate me. So it goes on and says, or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely or that the spirit Envies for our spirit can be translated a number of different ways there. God opposed that, but God gives us more grace. This is why the scripture says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, therefore, or then, submit yourselves to God. In light of all this, uh, let me turn this thing on. Yeah, this word in verse 7, then, submit yourself then, or therefore, it means go back and look at what verse 4 and 5 and 6 said, and in light of those issues, you really should do what God tells you to do, and you really should live your life for God, and you really should acknowledge Him and actually obey Him. That's the point of verse 7. Submit yourselves because of these things that we've just said. It only makes sense because of these things we just said. You really had better submit yourselves to God. Well, what are these things that he just said? I want to go back, even though we've... Okay, I don't want to dig, Greg. Somehow or other. Let me try this again. It's not responding to me. Me, 
Meanwhile, Dolan has a joke. No, just kidding. <clears throat> what are the things that he said that, that he's going back and he says, therefore, because of this, I'm going to mention three things. And the first one in verse four is that the choice that God gives us is very simple and very stark. In view of the fact we should submit our lives to God in view of the fact that there are only two options, that there is only a very, very simple choice. When he says in verse 4, look, you love me or you hate me. You're a friend of mine or you're a friend of the world. It's a, it's pretty catastrophic choice. It's a, it's a pretty simple divide. There's just really two there's just really two options, is what he's saying. And so therefore, in light of that, you really ought to choose the right one, the good one, the blessed one, the one that will give you reward. Um, you know, we live in a world where we hardly, in our country, we're so fortunate, so blessed, we hardly ever have to make choices between just two options. If you go to a restaurant, you've got a, how many options? If you want to go, if you want to buy a car or a vehicle or something like that, how many options do you have of colors and shapes and sizes and brand names? I mean, you know, it's, it's probably seldom that we are presented with a choice where we're told, look, uh, it's this or that. We're used to having a, a plurality of choices. And we forget, perhaps, how simple this choice is. You know, yesterday I was telling Dolan and, and Patty uh, uh, this a little bit before church this morning. I had a strange thing happen yesterday. Um, a bumblebee landed on my finger. And I was sitting there and um, I had spilled something on my finger, which it smelled. It was sugary. And it smelled that. And I saw this bumblebee just come over and he started buzzing around my finger a little bit. Big old fat bumblebee. I'm just sitting down outside and he lands on my finger and I could feel him crawling around. And I thought, okay, it's no big deal. It's really not. So I said to myself, okay, what are my choices here? <laughs> There's, they're probably get rid of him or get stung. Probably. And I don't know why. This, this is just dumb David. I don't know why I didn't just go, oh, no. I had to grab him. So he stung me in this finger. <laughs> Instead of this one that he's crawling on, he stings me in the other. <laughs> it's no big deal. But we sometimes have a choice. Very, I mean, we, we often do not have, but once in a while, and this is one of them, the Lord is simply saying, look, this is the way it is. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 12, when they were talking to him about the kingdom of Satan and about being demon-possessed and stuff, he said, look, a kingdom that's divided against itself will never stand. In other words, if you try to have too many options, if you try to stand for everything, you end up that you really stand for nothing. So Jesus said, look, this is how it is. Uh, later in the same chapter, Matthew 12, Jesus said, look, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not gathering into my barn... In my kingdom, then you're scattering. This is how simple and stark 
uh, this choice is. Stark is the idea that the profiles stand out so boldly that there's such a severe contrast. It's painfully clear which side is which. In other words, it's impossible to miss. That's something that's very stark. If it's blended in, or if it's camouflage, or if it's nuanced, you may not realize you've stepped from this choice to this choice. I'm simply saying, when James says to us in verse 4, you're a friend of God, or you're a friend of the world, it becomes very stark and simple. It's impossible to miss. Your heart pulls you one way, or your heart pulls another way. And based on what you do with the pull of the heart towards the world or towards the Lord, which one you surrender yourself to and which one you eagerly, enthusiastically live your life for, this is then one that determines whether you are God's friend or whether you are God's enemy. The second part of therefore, let me back up once. Okay, I'm not going forward either. I don't know. You got a software problem. I got a screen problem. Can can you can you give me what's next? Oh, okay. So we got more than that. <clears throat> well, let me just try to. I don't. I don't. Here's a, here's the funny thing. I don't even know what your bulletin insert says. I wrote some notes for myself, but I didn't have that insert when I did that. So let's try this. Verse five says that this choice that God gives us will never be altered or confused by any additional options. I don't know what yours says, but maybe you can figure out something if you want to fill in notes. I know some of you have no interest in that, but some of you do. It will never be, this simple choice will never be altered or confused by any other additional options. You know, uh, there again, our world has become so complex. Thank you, sir. Our world has become so complicated, we think there's always another option available. You know, when God made mankind, first of all, he said, uh, he brought them together as husband and wife. It wasn't too long till mankind was saying, that men and women were saying, we want another option. Uh, uh, yeah, we came together as husband and wife, we don't like each other anymore. Uh, we want a divorce. We want a different... Uh, he, he, it says in the beginning he made them male and female. But now we have said in our great 20th century, 21st century wisdom, we want another option. We don't want to be male or female. We want to be some other combination or whatever. We're used to, we long for always having more options. And what I'm saying to you is that this choice, your friend of God or your friend of the world, is not only simple and stark, but it is a choice that will never be uh, altered or confused by giving us other additional options. And that's because this choice is based on the nature of God. That's what he's saying in verse 5. That God in, is jealous for your spirit. This is based on the nature of God himself. In other words, God did not make you by accident. God did not create mankind as an experiment. He created us very thoughtfully. I'm always amazed when I read Genesis 1. And it says, first he made the world. And then he got around to making us. 
That says to me, he put some thought in this process. He didn't make people and then say, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Well, I've got this live human being jumping around, and I forgot to make a home for him to live in. I forgot to create some food for him to eat. No, God thought all that out, and very thoughtfully and very deliberately, he made this creature. In fact, I was reading Genesis 1 just recently, and I noticed something. When you read Genesis 1, it says, and God said, God said, God said, let, their, uh, let the earth bring forth fruit. God said, let their, uh, the daylight and the darkness be separated and all this. God spoke all these things in, into being. When you get to chapter 2, I believe it's verse 4, it says, so God made. Now it's, going, it's backing up and going into greater detail. And when, it come, when, when you come to verse 7, it says, and God formed man from the dust of the earth. So my point is that God was very deliberate. In other words, this creative act was very up close and personal. He for, you know, when he made the heavens and when he made the galaxies, he said, he said, but then when it comes to us, it says he formed. Because, because the, the, the uh, the upshot of that is, or the, 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 the ramification of that is, that, that this creature is the crowning touch. That this creature is the culmination. That this creature is the climactic act of all the other creatures and all the other creations that God has made. This is the one God pours himself into. So this one is more valuable and all the rest of the stuff... Um, and, and so God got more closely and more personally involved in it. Therefore, since that's the case, this statement that James made is, you know, God longs for your spirit or God is jealous over your loyalty and, and your love. In verse 5, is a statement that comes from the nature of God and the extreme value of this creation or this creature that he has made. And so my point is, if this is the case, then God isn't going to change the conditions or add some new options because he says, oh, no, 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 I'm not, you're not going to, nobody's going to mess with this one. This was the greatest part of my creation. This was in my image. So nobody is going to come and change the conditions that I have given them. This one here, they're my friend or they're my enemy based on their own choice and their own, the freedom that I give to them in, in love, but this choice will never be altered by confusion. Okay, that's the significance of that. Here's the third thing that's part of why James says submit then, or submit therefore, submit yourselves in light of these. Here's number three, and this is verse six, where we, we talked about this last week, where it says God gives more grace. So, in other words, if a man or a woman that God created and loves and jealously longs for his spirit and declares that he's my friend or he's my enemy, if, if you wish to choose to be God's friend, let me see how this says it, assistance will be offered you. This says, verse, verse 6, he gives grace. We talked about this week, last week. The steeper the hill, 
The more the throttle gets smashed in, the more power is available in all kinds of places and in all kinds of ways. When you need something, if you lean on the Lord, He will give it. He will provide it. If the problems are, are the problem is tough, God's grace is tougher. It's stronger. So, so how can the point of that is then? There's no excuse for not submitting yourself unto God. There's no excuse. If I'll just give you an example. Uh, I'll pick on you, Will. I don't even know how old you are. But let's say Will's going to go to college. He wants to go to college. I don't know if you do or not, but sorry, just, just, just sit there. So Will, Will wants to go to college, and so he goes and he visits a school that he is very interested in. And he likes what he sees. And he comes and he sits down with administration, and he says, I really like your school, and this is where I want to go to school. Uh, and they say, great, we'll sign you up. And, he, and Will says, hold it. I don't have any money. I can't afford to go to your school. I want to go, uh, go to your school, but I can't afford to. Now, so you kind of have an impasse. You have a problem. Unless the administrator says, tell you what, Will, I'll give you a scholarship. Cover everything you need. This is grace. I'll give you a scholarship. So, now Will has... It's possible for him to go. There's no excuse now for him not to go. Unless his mom says no. <laughs> but, you see what I, but you see what I'm saying. If Will then later changes his mind and says, Oh, I don't want to go to the, that school. I'm going to go somewhere else. The administrator of that school is not going to be happy with him. He's going to say, I think you're a traitor. You played me along. I offered you assistance. I gave you I invested 100% in you, and you turned around and retracted your choice. You told me this is what you wanted, but that's not the direction you're going. I don't consider you my friend, Will. I consider you like an enemy of mine now because you have betrayed what I did for you. And I'm simply saying, when this says God gives us more grace, and therefore we should submit to him, I'm simply saying that God has invested 100% in us. All that he could give, he gave. All that we need, he has made available. On the basis of all that, hey, we're back online. On the basis of all that, if you don't choose God, if you don't submit to him, if you don't choose him in, the, in this very simple choice, then you can understand why God does not Consider you his friend. Okay. In light of this, again, I apologize. I don't know what these say. I haven't seen these since I wrote them a long time ago, and I, I, I didn't make a copy or something. I don't know what happened. But in light of this, considering this expectation is quite clear, submit yourselves then to God. All right. So now we come to verse 7, and I got just uh, a few minutes here. What does it mean? I'm going to mention two I'm going to mention a couple, a, three words. It means that God's in charge, and I need to say yes, sir. This word submit, hupotasso, is a, uh, the word in, in the Greek text, and hupo means under. The, the prefix hupo means under, and tasso means to stand. And this is a military term. It means to stand under. The, I, you know, I was never in the military, and I salute every one of you who were and have been. Um. I've never been exactly quite in that environment, but it's my understanding 
from people who were in the military that probably the first thing you learn is that you do what you're told. Is that correct? I mean, like the first thing that you learn if you are a private is that you do not tell a lieutenant or a corporal or what. I don't even know the rank system, but they got a rank system, right? And the, the guy down under doesn't tell the guy up over him what to do or what he will do. The first rule that makes the military everything that it is, is there are no exceptions to this. You get up to the commander-in-chief, and, and everybody does what he says, period. It's just, that's what makes it work. So, this word, this military word from the military world means, look, understand your rank. You don't outrank God. He's the commander-in-chief. And wherever you are on the pay grade, you're underneath of him, and so you, you got to start off by admitting it and accept it. Submit yourself. That's what submission is in the, in the, in the long run. It is uh, an issue of, of God's authority, but also his purpose. There are times where you may say, Lord, I don't like what you're doing in my life. I don't appreciate, I don't enjoy these experiences you're pounding me with. These, these experiences you're sending me through. We all, have the, we all have human emotions. And there are times when all of us get discouraged and disappointed. And we say, I don't understand why. Why did you let this person die? Why did you let this marriage dissolve? Why did you let my job come to an end? All these questions. But in the end... Part of standing under the authority and submitting to the Lord is, in the end, to say, He's got a purpose that I willingly, as, as I can dimly and vaguely understand it, I willingly accept the fact that God wants to do things in my life and He wants to do things through my life. He perhaps will have me in a circumstance because He's using me in the life of someone else. And I, I'm okay with that because I, sub, I submit to the Lord. Here's the third one. And that is the fact that I often cannot understand what God is doing or why He is doing it. That the methods of the Lord are beyond my understanding. And when I realize that, I say, whatever. I'm not going to insist to understand everything. I'm not going to sit down and throw a fit just because I don't understand something. I'm going to go ahead with what I do know that pleases the Lord, and I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, um, and continue to love Him and to serve Him, even when I don't, when I don't fully understand what all, that, what all that means. Submission to God means surrendering the right to run my own life, to think or say or to do as I please. And as you know, as a Christian person or a person considering becoming a Christian, you know that in the end, this is not an intellectual issue. This is not a theoretical thing. That God expects me to obey Him to the degree that I understand what that means. And that sometimes gets really, this sometimes gets very, uh, this sometimes gets 
very rough, very, very personal. And that's why I asked this little question that's at the top of your sermon notes. This is the existential question. Whose life is it? When God is calling you to do something that you don't want to do, when he's laid a burden on your heart to help somebody and you don't even like that person or to give to a cause or to sacrifice something and you don't want to sacrifice it. Anytime that you feel the Lord moving or urging or, or pressing on your conscience to do something and you don't want to do it, you come down then to this question, okay, do I submit to God or not? Well, why should I submit to God? Well, the question is, whose life really is it? Uh, I have some scriptures there in your sermon notes. I don't know if I have them on this screen or not. Here's a couple. Look at these. That's as good enough right here. You're familiar with 1 Corinthians 6.19. This is a hard thing for us to hear, isn't it? You're not your own. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you would call yourself self-made or not. You're not your own. This is what the Bible says. It also says in Romans 14, you belong to the Lord. You know, this was the issue that I had struggled, wrestle with when I was between high school and college. I knew the Lord had called me to preach. I did not want to. I did not want to go to college. I did not want to leave my home or any of those kind of things. And this was a, became a, a life-defining struggle within me. I, you know, I told everybody I was going off to school, but I really hadn't decided in my heart that I would because I didn't want to. I wanted to stay home. I loved my family. I loved my community, and I didn't want to change all that. And uh, literally the night before I left home to go to college, I couldn't sleep, and I was wrestling with the Lord. And I had, I remember getting up and going out in the yard. It was in August, and uh, it was there that night that I really, really, when I got a hold of this question in my mind, whose life is it? That I had to ultimately surrender to the Lord and say, well, Lord, if this is your call, what am I going to argue about? I didn't bring my life into the world. I didn't create myself. I'm only here because you, uh, in your mercy, allowed me to be here. So how can I argue back? Whether I like it or not is very secondary. Whether I want to do it is very secondary. Whether I feel gifted or enabled to do it is secondary. If this is what you clearly want me to do, then i got to do it. That's exactly what James is saying. Submit yourselves then to God. Whose life is it? And the second thing that I want to tack on to that in the next verse, and I'm skipping a phrase and I'll come back to here next Sunday, is, but it's, it's, this is, this is the, the personal side of it. Draw near to God. In light of the fact that you're God's friend or you're God's enemy. And God jealously longs for your spirit and will give you grace to help you resist and help you to make the right choice. Then in light of all that, therefore, not only submit to God, but draw near to God. And this is deeper than belief or acknowledgement. This is love that he's talking about. Secondly, this is a desire for understanding and fellowship between God and myself. You know, when you're trying to draw near to somebody, it's not just, it's, it's not just a good morning, how are you, good, see you later. I mean, that's not drawing near to somebody. 
drawn near is where you really take time and you, you really sit down and you say, tell me what it's like. Tell me how you feel. What, what are you going to do? How can I help you? You know, I was reading just last night, actually, in Psalm 42. And, and there's a phrase there that always stirs me. It always has. He says, I, my, I, Psalm 42, verse 1 says, My heart pants after you, Lord, like a, like a deer panting for the brooks of water. In other words, any kind of an animal, it's hot and tired, thirsty, maybe being chased by hounds or whatever, and it's, it's panting. And it, it needs a drink. And David says, sometimes my soul pants for God. I just want to ask you this morning, do you pant for the Lord? Do you desire Him? Do you have a, a desire to draw near to God like, like uh, it, when you're thirsty and you desire water? And it goes on and says there in Psalm 8 or Psalm 42, deep calls unto deep. And he says it's like the noise of a waterfall. And I was, I was kind of meditating. I was trying to picture and ponder exactly what, how this image that David gives us of, of a waterfall and of the voice of the waterfall that he says is deep, giving voice to deep. And I, I, I just, I'll just share this and I'll move on. It seems to me what he's saying in that phrase, that deep calls unto deep, that is that we all have a deep place within us. Not just surface, not just on the surface. When you really draw near someone, you're tapping into the depths of their, of their mind and their heart and their emotions, their relationship. And he says this is like a waterfall. It comes roaring, you know, the water comes roaring over the lip of a rock. And then it... And then it, it free falls down and there's this pool, there's this bowl that receives it. And all of the, of the water in the one place giving itself to the water in the other place, it makes a tremendous noise. And, and David says, and he's using this as an illustration of his own desire to draw near to God. Because he says, all your waves and all your billows wash over me. Uh, just... It's like deep calling unto deep. In other words, this isn't just a surface thing. This isn't a wave as you pass someone on the road. This is the longings of my heart, the despairs of my heart, the questions of my heart, calling unto God, saying, as he says in that psalm, where are you at? This is drawing near to him, seeking that place of deep calling unto deep. And if... If you're drawn near to God, then this is the obvious. Can't leave this part out. If there's something that would interfere with your nearness to God, you got to get rid of it. That's just how relationships work. This is where it gets difficult. Deep calling on the deep is where it gets real. But this is where it gets difficult. When I have things in my life that stand between God and I, and yet I don't want to give them up, then God says, then how am I going to draw near to you? If you have an offensive part of your life, how could you draw near to me when I am offended by what you do or what you say or how you live or whatever? So my point is here that this is not by accident. Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're going to be filled this 
And this is what James says. If you draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. Whose life is it? It's God's life being reflected back and being given back to Him in worship. And this is what, uh, this is what He calls us to do.